It is well with my soul. One of my favorites. Thank you, Brian and choir. Hope you have your Bibles. You're welcome to follow along in the Scriptures. We will have the Scriptures up on the screen as well. We are going through the book of Romans. And we are still in chapter 1 and finding a lot of truth out of that. We're looking at this book under the title, The Gospel Changes Everything. And remember our thesis. We'll remind you of this every week. The gospel is not just facts to be believed. It is a life to be lived. And you'll find throughout the New Testament where it talks about us obeying the gospel. And that is we have to place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be saved. And is that once that happens, then our life is transformed from the inside out. We are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And it is evident. We talked about the power of the gospel. It transforms. It changes everything. And we saw the power of the gospel through the truth of the gospel, what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ truly was the Son of God who came to suffer and die and took on God's wrath and punishment for sin upon himself. He was buried and he was raised again the third day. That's the truth of the gospel. Then we saw the testimony of the gospel in the, in the life of the Apostle Paul, where before he was the Apostle Paul, he was the Rabbi Saul, and he was persecuting Christians. He hated them. He despised them. He took part in their murder. But when Christ met him on the road to Damascus, his life was transformed. And we saw his testimony, and that's the testimony of every believer who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ. Their life is transformed. Last Sunday, we turned the page and we started looking at the revelation of the gospel. What does the gospel show us? What does it reveal to us? And we see in verse 17 that it says the righteousness of God is revealed. So the gospel reveals God's righteousness. We see God's righteousness revealed in his law. When he laid down the law in the Old Testament, we see it points to a holy, righteous, perfect, sinless God. But we also see God's righteousness in His grace, in the person of Jesus Christ. For the law came through Moses, but grace and truth, the gospel writer John said, came through Jesus Christ. So God's grace was extended to us, and it showed us God's righteousness. And then that grace had to be received by faith. The Bible says in Romans 1.17, we looked at the just shall live by faith. It's a matter of us expressing our faith in what God did on the cross of Calvary for us. We also began looking last week that the gospel reveals man's unrighteousness. Anytime you expose or God's righteousness and God's holiness is magnified, then man's unholiness, man's unrighteousness is also magnified. Remember Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 6, it says he saw God lifted high and surrounded by the angels. And they were singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah became so convicted of his uncleanness, his unworthiness, he fell down and he said, woe is me. In other words, he felt like he was going to die because he was such an unholy. And we're talking about a prophet of God. And he felt in the presence of God's holiness how undone and unfit he was. And that's what the gospel does. It shows us God's righteousness but when the gospel also reveals our unrighteousness, our sinfulness. And that's why the world, much of the world, is rejecting the gospel because they don't want to accept the fact that they're unrighteous. There's none righteous. Not a one of you here today is righteous unless you're saved. 
And if you're saved, you didn't get righteous by your behavior. You got righteous when God declared you righteous because of your faith in Jesus Christ. He made you righteous. But what we saw last week is that in unrighteousness, man suppresses God's truth. That's what he says here in verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now we talked about how God made his way, God made himself known. If you would look at verse uh, 19, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Now remember we talked about that last week. God, there's a lot of things about God we cannot know, but there's a lot of things we can know that God has revealed. And some of what we can know of God, where did he put it first? He put it where? In us. He said, I've made it manifest in them. That word manifest just means known, apparent, evident. I've made myself evident within mankind. That is, there is a God consciousness, a God awareness created in every human being ever created and ever will be created. It's that that has to be suppressed to reject God. But God put it in them. And then he says he's shown it to them. The word shown and manifest is the exact same word in the Greek language. It means, again, shown, apparent, evident. He said, I put it in them, and then I showed it to them. I put it in creation. I put Psalm 19, talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth his handiwork. And even in this passage, he talks about how the creation revealed the creator. And that even in verse 20, his revealed attributes are clearly seen and understood by the things that are made. So we can see, even, he even says in verse 20, even his Godhead and authority. The, the fact that God is God, that he is and that he has authority over all things is clearly seen in what we can see with our eyes. There is visible, physical evidence within us and without of us that there is God. But man in his unrighteousness suppresses that truth. And he says in verse 20, the last phrase, so that they are what? They who? Who's they? Is that just a select few? Or is that every human being ever lived? I think it's every human being ever lived without excuse. They are without excuse. Why? Because God made himself known. He's given enough revelation of himself in us and around us, and then again in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, for all of us to know him and to be saved. So man in his unrighteousness suppresses God's truth, but here's where we pick up today. And by the way, there's an outline on the back of your worship bulletin if you're interested in taking notes. But man also exchanges God's truth. Read with me or follow along in verse 21 through 25. Because although they knew God, okay, so they knew God, they knew there was a God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. 
Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Notice, says they exchanged, verse 25, exchanged the truth of God. What did they exchange the truth of God for? Read the words carefully. What does it say? The lie. The lie. Not a lie, the lie. Matches what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 2. The lie. What's the lie? It started back in the Garden of Eden. When, God, when Satan told Adam and Eve, or actually he told Eve, he said, God doesn't want you to have that fruit because in the day that you eat that fruit, you will become like God. The lie is that man is God. That's the lie. You're your own God. You choose your destiny. You determine what's right and wrong. Nobody else but you. If it's right for you, then it's right. If it's wrong for you, then it's wrong. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. Not even one who would call himself God. That was the lie. The devil has always wanted the worship that belongs to God. That was the lie he tried to tempt Jesus with. If you remember in Matthew chapter 4, he said, If you, all these kingdoms I'll give you. Now the kingdoms had already been promised to Jesus Christ by God the Father. But the devil was trying to short-circuit that. and said, I'll give you all these kingdoms if you will what? Bow down and worship me. You see, that's what the devil's always wanted. He's wanted the worship. And anytime you put yourself in the place of God, you're falling right in line with the devil's will. Notice the first on the list of false gods in verse 23. Man changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. The Bible tells us that God made man in his image. But in his unrighteousness, man seeks to make gods in his own image. Here the Bible paints a picture of not just what was happening in Paul's day, but what we're seeing in modern society. And so I want us to look at this downward progression. What happens when a culture exchanges God's truth and accepts the lie that they're their own God? What happens? Well, he starts it off right here in verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. So basically, what Paul is saying is the first step was they, man rejected God as God. And he wanted to be his own God. So he rejected God as God. That is what he said in, in the previous verses in verse 20, that his eternal power and Godhead was revealed. They rejected that. No, God's not going to have authority over me. No, God is not God. He does not have power and authority over me. I have power and authority over my own life. So they rejected God as God. Secondly, they became ungrateful. Same verse, 21. They did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verse 2, Paul is, in this writing to young Timothy, and he tells Timothy about what he can expect to see in the last days. That is, when things boil down to the end and 
result of rejecting God. He said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, and he keeps going. But unthankful, unthankful, ungrateful. In our staff meetings on Tuesday morning, we're reading through 1 Corinthians, and a couple of weeks ago, we came to chapter 10, and we came across this listing of, of sins, and right in the middle of it was, I'm going to pick up with verse 7. He said, do not, do not become idolaters, as some of them were, but as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now, I want you to remember that verse. We're going to come to it in a minute. Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain, as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. So he's mentioned idolatry and immorality, and thirdly, he mentioned what? Y'all don't want to say it, do you? He compl they complained. They were destroyed for the idolatry, they were destroyed for their morality, and they were destroyed for their what? No, God would never do that. And I can understand him destroying an idolater. I can understand him destroying an immoral person. But hey, everybody complains every now and then, don't they? Anybody complain this week? Why do I bring that up? Because complaining is the exact opposite of gratefulness. It's ungratefulness. You've been complaining about your wife? That means you're not grateful for her. What if God took her away? You've been complaining about your husband? It means you're ungrateful for him. What if God took him away? You've been complaining about your parents? What if God took him away? You've been complaining about your job? What if God took that away? You've been complaining about your church? Nah. Ain't nobody does that. Complaining is the exact opposite of gratefulness. It's ungrateful people that complain because they're thinking that God has not been good enough to them. They need something more or something different. And it says in the Old Testament, and Paul repeated it here to, uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians to that church, that complaining brought down God's wrath and they were destroyed for their ungratefulness. Stop complaining, people. God hates it. And it's an evidence of thinking that God has power and authority over your life. If God is in control of your life, you have everything you already need. Nothing more, nothing less. Amen? Now, if you believe that, you won't ever complain again. But the minute you start complaining, you're rejecting God as God, and you're saying, He doesn't have power and authority and control over my life. I need to do something different, or I need something different. They became ungrateful. The next progression, the next step was they became vain in their thoughts. It says they became futile in their thoughts. The word futile means vain. It's where they try, the people who reject God are trying to fill that void in their life with other things. And they have discovered that those things don't completely satisfy. Oh, they make Life may be a little more fun, but uh, it's only temporary pleasure. 
They become futile in their thoughts, and they're constantly pursuing things that don't bring any purpose or meaning. He says, and then that leads to the next thing, and their foolish hearts were darkened. You remember we were all created with a God consciousness, a God conscience, if you will. He says that, by the way, in chapter 2, verse 14 of Romans. But see, those who reject God, suppress His truth, exchange His truth, the light of that God awareness goes out. And then Satan fills that heart with darkness. It's what Jesus described in John chapter 3, verse 19, when He said, This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. And he said in chapter 12 and verse 35, a, a little while longer the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. So they have a foolish, darkened heart. Deceived. They can't see. I always wonder, how can they not see? It's because they've been blinded by the evil one. They don't see. They were given the light, but they rejected the light because their deeds were evil. And now their hearts become dark. They are blinded to the truth. And that leads them to false wisdom. Verse 22, they think they're wise, but they became morons. You say, Brother Lee, that's a dirty word. And that's a Bible word. That's the word. Look it up. In the Greek, it's moros. It's the root word of our word moron. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul addressed this to that church. Listen to what he said. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, that is, those who reject it and are perishing, but to those who are, of us who are being saved. The message of the cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, he's a stumbling block. And to the Greek... He's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. But see, when you reject God, you think you, are, you know it all. You've rejected the one who knows it all and you have made yourself God and you think you know it all. A possible paraphrase of Romans 1.22 might read like this. Even though they think themselves wise, they actually became and behaved as morons. That's what we're seeing. You see, only a fool could look at everything God has done around them. Look at all that God has revealed in them and to them. And say there is no God. 
That's what Proverbs 14.1 says. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's why April the 1st is the atheist holiday. Let it sink in. What fools the Israelites were at the base of Mount Sinai. Now think about this for just a moment. Here they are at the base of Mount Sinai. God had just, they had just seen God pour down ten plagues on Egypt. And they saw the mighty hand of God. Then they come to the edge of the Red Sea. And they kind of start panicking again. Even though they'd just seen God deliver them. And then God parts the Red Sea and they go through on dry ground. And by the way, the Bible says a wall of water on the left and a wall of water on the right. It wasn't six inches deep. They passed their own dry ground. The Egyptians followed them and God closed the sea on top of the Egyptian army and drowned the whole army. Now here they are at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses has been up there for 40 days and 40 nights. They're going, Aaron, where is Moses? And they were tired of waiting. They said, Aaron, make us a god. And so Aaron collected all their earrings and jewelry and he threw it into the smelting pot and he formed it into a golden calf and they began to bow down and to worship it and they said, this is our God who delivered us from Egypt. After all they'd seen, then I realize that you and I are a lot like that. We've seen God do miraculous things. You've seen God meet your needs. You've seen God provide for you. And then you come to the next need. And you begin to doubt and question God all over again. And God says... Don't you remember what I just did? Why do you think David, as he faced Goliath, was rehearsing God's power and authority in his life? God gave me the strength to kill the lion and the bear and the wolf. With my bare hands, he said, this uncircumcised Philistine is nothing. You see, you don't believe that God is all-powerful. Every time you have a need, you begin to doubt and question. God can't do that. We're just like the world sometimes in that regard. And what a poor witness we are. The world needs to see that the people of God, are, that God is doing greater things here than they've ever seen. Unexplained things. But we don't believe Him for enough. We don't ask Him for enough. Job eleven twelve says, An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. <laughs> Y'all didn't know that was in the Bible, did you? Neither did I. And I've read it through a bunch of times, and I, this time it just jumped out at me. And I thought, that's, that's, a, that's a good word. An empty-headed person won't become wise any more than a wild donkey can bear a human child. In other words, if you reject God, you're about as dumb as thinking a donkey can have a human being for a baby. That's the world we live in. The next step in the progression is they become filled with all unrighteousness. Let's read verses 24 through 31. 
Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness. In the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, that is gossips, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That's a long list. But that's what happens when you reject God. Filled with all unrighteousness. If you go back and read the account of Exodus 32, the children at the base of Mount Sinai, and they said to that golden calf, this is our God that delivers from Egypt. You remember I read this for you a moment ago in 1 Corinthians 10. The scripture says that they rose up at that point as they were worshiping that calf. It says they rose up to eat and, or they sat down to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. Every commentary and even the Greek, uh, the Hebrew language infers this. That I've ever read on that phrase, rose up to play, says it refers to a drunken orgy. In other words, their idolatry, their rejection of God, led them to gross immorality. Self-deification leads to self-indulgence. If you think you are your own God, then you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever feels good to you. You can fulfill all your desires without fear of judgment. It's been said from idolatry to immorality is but one small step. Notice the first sin under the category of all unrighteousness in verse 29 is sexual immorality. And among all and among the grossest of all sexual immorality, he details in verses 26 through 28, which I just read, and that's the sin, yes I said it, the sin of homosexuality. This matter is discussed in this chapter before we ever come to the phrase all unrighteousness. And, in ver- and, and consider, if you will, how the Bible describes homosexuality. I want to walk you through it. I want you to see how the Bible, God, in all His wisdom, in all His power, in all His authority, describes this sin. Would you follow with me in your Bibles? You're going to need your Bible for this. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to, what's the first word? Uncleanness. So homosexuality is uncleanness. Keep reading. In the lust of their hearts to what? Dishonor their bodies. Homosexuality dishonors the body God created. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to what? 
vile passions. Not good, but vile. And by the way, if you rearrange the word vile, what word do you get? Evil. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions. Even their women exchanged what? Natural use, it's against nature. Verse 27, likewise men leaving the natural use of the woman. God says it's against nature. It's unnatural. Verse 27, they burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is what? It's shameful. Receiving in themselves what? Penalty for their what? Error. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a what? Debased mind. To do those things which are what? Not fitting, not becoming. Now that is the testimony of God's word against homosexuality. And if you say different, my friend, you are wrong. Now I know that's not popular, but it's true. Where is the church of Jesus Christ going to stand? We're going to stand against all sin. We're going to stand for all sinners trying to reach them for Christ and the gospel. We want all sinners to understand that their sin, all unrighteousness. And yes, this specific one, homosexuality, we want to call all sinners to repentance. All of them. But we have to agree that sin is sin and God hates sin sin, but God loves sinners. You remember last week? Actually, this was Wednesday night. Where do you see love and hate demonstrated in the most powerful way? The cross of Jesus Christ. God hated sin so much, He paid such a great price of sending His Son out of heaven to be born as a little baby, and He poured out His wrath against sin upon His only Son. The Bible says in Isaiah 56, 3, that God laid upon him the iniquity of us all. That's how much God hates sin. But we see love for sinners. Because he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to call sin what it is. It's called sin. Quit tiptoeing through the tulips, people. Stand on the Word of God. But all sorts of sin and degradation follow when we reject God and His truth. That's what verses 29 through 31 that I read, all that long list, all of that. And notice, you'll find yourself in that list. Go back and look and see if you can find yourself. You're there. You may not want to see yourself there, but you're there. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-minded, whispers, gossips, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving. Unforgiving, there's one. There's some of you here today that you, you refuse to forgive people who've wronged you. You want revenge. Forgiveness is far from you. That's your evil, sinful nature that's telling you that. You said, Brother Lee, you don't know what they did. God does, and he still told you to what? Forgive. God knows it all. I don't have to know what God, what happened to you. The one who knows what happened to you says you must forgive. And if you aren't willing to forgive, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, don't bother asking God to forgive you. Go back and read it. 
You see, these people who reject God and who exchange God's truth for the lie, this is the way they become. And then in verse 32, they're unrepentant. They know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things deserve death, but not only do they do it, but they approve of those who practice it. They're unrepentant. They know it's wrong. And instead of saying it's wrong, they seek approval from other people. Please, somebody just tell me my sin is okay. Would you please tell me it's okay? Then I don't have to say it's wrong. Then I don't have to feel guilty about it. If somebody would just rubber stamp it and say, yes, Brother Lee, your sin is okay, then I can feel better about myself. That's what's happening in our culture. And there's a warning here. Don't approve of the things God hates. Love people, hate sin. We minimize the gospel when we approve of practices God hates. When you call things that God hates good, you're in, you are in practice rejecting God and His truth, and thus you will experience God's wrath. You see, in Revelation chapter 9, you know the book of Revelation, much of it's about the great tribulation, which is God's pouring His wrath upon the world that rejected Him. The church is out of here. We've been raptured into glory with Him, but now He's pouring out His wrath upon those who rejected Him. We see the seven seal judgments of God. We see the seven trumpet judgments of God. Then we see the seven bowl judgments of God. And that's the bulk of Revelation. It's the wrath of God. It's the judgment of God being poured out on a rebellious society that's rejected Him. Right in the middle of that, we come to Revelation chapter 9. In the middle of the seven trumpet judgments, we read these words. And this is not the only place. After he, they have gone through all these plagues and killed a third of mankind and, and all of that, says the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. They were unrepentant even though they were experiencing the wrath of God. And that led them, Romans 1.32, to ultimate death. Not only those who do them, but he says that those who practice such things are deserving of death, ultimate death. Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. God has given man everything they need to know him, in them and around them. He even paid for their sin debt through the death of his son, Jesus Christ, so that no man, woman, boy, or girl ever have to go to hell. Which, by the way, Revelation 20 calls the second death. It's been said if you're born twice, you only have to die once. But if you're only born once, you only have to die twice. Jesus said you must be born again. You must be saved or you will experience the second death. That is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But the good news of the gospel, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, that's you and me, believes in him should not perish. There's that word again. Eternal separation from God shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There's the power and the revelation of the gospel in one sentence. Do you believe? Have you believed? Have you given your life to the one who gave his for you? The gospel is not just facts to be believed. Do not be deceived. Just because you believe Jesus died, was buried, and rose again doesn't mean you're going to heaven. The devils believe that. They're not going to be there. There's one thing you must do that the devil will never do. You must obey the gospel. How do I do that, Brother Lee? I obey the gospel by taking what I know Jesus did for me, and I place my faith, my ultimate de dependence upon that and that alone to forgive me of my sin and save me. That and nothing else. And by faith, I, I claim it for myself. By faith, I ask Him to forgive me and save me. You make it yours. You surrender, commit your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ to follow Him. That's what Tyrell was testifying this morning. He came up last Sunday. He'd been saved at youth mission trip. Came forward last Sunday. Said, I'm committing, recommitting my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to be baptized. I, I want to be a testimony for him. Now see, once you're saved and baptized, you are a living testimony. People are watching you. What kind of testimony are you being? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you just spend some